Do you like spooky stories? Do you like true crime? Are you a fan of the southern United States? If so, and if not, you should listen to Haunted Hospitality. Hosts Robin and Zoe are two spooky gingers doing deep dives into southern stories. At Haunted Hospitality, we cover all things haunted and southern, borrowed and blue, till, till death, death do, do us part. part. We've talked about the ghosts of the Biltmore Estate, the Wolford family axe murders, and many, many more. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. Or wherever else you can find podcasts. We're probably there. Oh, hey, we should probably mention that we're friends. Are we, though? As two acquaintances, we get up to fun shenanigans. And share something Southern in every episode. As two Southerners. I'm not a Southerner. We are uniquely qualified to share these stories with you. So give us a listen. Subscribe and review. And always remember to stay spooky. Hello, and welcome back to Shockingly Wicked, a true crime podcast where we bring you cases from the headlines to the hometowns. I'm Brianna. And I'm Brittany. And we are your hosts for the evening. Today, we are going to be talking about the case of Natalie Holloway. Hold on, hold on. I have a special effect that I uploaded right before here. I had, I had to, I'm sorry. This case, you've probably heard of it because it was a pretty big deal back when it happened, but to it be has fair, been. I've heard about the case, but I've never, like, I don't know any details about it. Well, that's fine. There are a lot of details and we'll try to touch on everything. But yeah, this case happened back in the early 2000s. So it's been almost 20 years. I think it's been about 16 years. And they yeah. still haven't found her body, right? Correct. They have not found her body or really found any sort of evidence about what happened to her. So technically it's unsolved, but... Unsolved cases. I do want to touch base with you guys and remind you, all we ask is for you to leave us a reviewer rating on iTunes. And make sure you subscribe to us on our YouTube channel. We do this for fun, but we want everybody to listen because I think we're cool. I agree. Um, Last I checked, we were at 24 subscribers on YouTube, so we're about a quarter of the way there, but we need 100 of you to subscribe so that we can get an actual URL. (laughs) A-U-R-L. And it'll make it easier for us to give you a place to find us. You can give the URL to people to find us. It'll just help out immensely. So if you could go ahead and do that, even if you don't plan on watching any of our videos, that's fine. I mean, as long I mean, as you it's listen- literally just like ca- closed captions. So. Yeah, I guess we can just kind of go ahead and jump right in there. Unless you have anything else we needed to touch on real quick. No. Well, actually, today is my wedding anniversary. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, yeah, we secretly got married. Okay, let me just explain it real quick. Okay. So, we, I quit my job last year, but the job I was going into didn't have insurance. So the day I quit was the day we got married, and then I started the new job, like, the day after. <laughs> so my one-year job anniversary is tomorrow, and my technical wedding anniversary is today. Wow. I just, I learned something new today with all of you guys. <laughs> This is important information. Happy anniversary. (laughs) If you had told me it was your anniversary, we wouldn't have recorded today. (laughs) It's okay. We don't celebrate this anniversary. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, never mind then. I don't feel as bad. (laughs) Okay. So we are going to go ahead and get started. We start with some background. Natalie Ann Holloway was born in Clinton, Mississippi on October 21st, 1986. She was the first of two children born to Dave and Elizabeth Holloway. She had a younger brother named Matt. Her parents divorced in 1993, and her mother, Beth, raised Natalie and Matt as a single mother for the next couple of years until she remarried to George Twitty. His nickname was Jug for some reason. She got married to him in 2000. After that, the family moved to Mountain Brook, Alabama, and she graduated from Mountain Brook High School on May 24th, 2005, with honors. From the information that I gathered, she was a member of the National Honor Society, Student Government, School Dance Squad, the American Field Service, which works with foreign exchange students. She was all over the place. I love that for her. She also joined a group called Natural Helpers, which is a peer support group, and she did some other unspecified volunteer work, but I couldn't find any other information. But she was clearly doing all of this to bolster her, Her not resume, but her college, yeah, her college application. She apparently frequently traveled, including trips to Europe, Canada, and she 
took some cruises. I um, pause, but I really yes. want to go to Canada. <laughs> Canada does sound a lot of fun. It sounds so cool. Okay, anyways, continue. Okay, so she had plans to attend the University of Alabama on a full academic scholarship. Full tide! <laughs> but Tiger. We are Clemson Tiger fans in this house. Well, speak for yourself. What are you uh, saying? <laughs> I, I don't watch college football. <laughs> we don't either. Chris is a fan of Pittsburgh, but, you know. Well, tell him that I can't be friends with him because I'm a Ravens fan. <laughs> Disgusting! I want to say we have seven rings, but Brady kind of has seven rings, too. So Yeah. I well, I mean, it's fine because I grew up in Maryland, so that's why I'm a Baltimore fan. But anyway. I thought it was the Atlanta. What? I got them confused. Never mind. No. Continue. <laughs> Atlanta is the falcon, yeah, so it yeah, is a bird. It's, a bird. it's just a different bird. <laughs> I was about to be like, you like Michael Vick? Yeah, no. I know. No, he I was in not... Pittsburgh for like two years. Uh, where was I? Oh yeah, academic scholarship. She had talked about joining a sorority while she was there, and she was going to pursue a pre-med track. Her parents and family, well, her parents and family, her friends and family, <laughs> <laughs> they described her as careful, dependable, having a heart for service. They said she kind of had a childlike side, which I think they used as a nice way of saying that she was naive and not really experienced. Aw, that's kind of I agree. Her uncle, Paul Reynolds, said, Natalie's naive. She hasn't dated a lot. She doesn't party a lot. Oh. And then... Her mother insists that Natalie never drank. She never had a boyfriend, never had sex. Um, um I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's like... I feel like when a mom comments, kids don't tell their parents the whole truth. I'm not saying she was a partier, but like... Yeah, that that's the thing. It's like her mom might not know the full story, but this is a quote from the Vanity Fair article that I was reading. It's where I got a lot of the information about the timeline, but it says, quote, she is emphatic about this. Left unsaid is the assumption that this gave Natalie little experience in the kind of tequila-fueled revelry for which Aruba is famous. And then her mom's actual quote was, Natalie was very smart, but very naive. So, well, why would you say your child to Aruba. Right. And she regularly attended church. And then finally, her senior yearbook quote came from the song Freebird. And the quote itself was, if I leave here tomorrow, would you still remember me? For I must be traveling now. There's too many places I haven't seen. And that is very, uh, I don't know what the word is, but it hits me harder. Yeah, it hits me harder knowing that she left for this trip two days after she graduated from high school. Oof. We'll start with the crime. Dun, dun, dun. Um, <laughs> hold on. On May 26th, Natalie and 124 fellow graduates from Mountain Brook arrived in Aruba on what was an unofficial graduation trip. That's a lot of people. That is a lot of people. And also, I want to go to Aruba for a graduation trip. I think we just went to the Great Wolf Lodge. Like, I didn't go because I thought that was a stupid graduation <laughs> trip. The Great Wolf Lodge is, we went, it was me and Chris and, oh, it was supposed to be four of us. My friend's boyfriend broke up with her like the week before. So she third wheeled our senior trip oh, with no. us. And it was like, the this like, I mean, we are all friends, but it was... That must have felt a little awkward for her. Oh, yeah. Apparently, this trip was the school tradition. I bet they don't do uh, that tradition no more. Probably not, because I, I vaguely remember, I think it was her stepbrother had been on the trip a couple of years before, so it was a school tradition. This group of students were accompanied by seven adult chaperones. According to one of the chaperones, who was also a teacher... His name is Bob Plummer. <laughs> the chaperones would meet with each of the students every day just to make sure that everything was okay. And then the person who organized the trip said in one of the articles I was reading that the chaperones were not supposed to keep up with their every move. Uh, that's exactly what chaperones do. <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's, these are people who just graduated from high school. These are still teenagers. They are probably majority 17 years old, some 18 years old. They're in a foreign country. It would be different if they were college-age kids. What do you mean the chaperones aren't supposed to keep up with their every move, ma'am? That is exactly what a chaperone does. Yeah, and it's like, I, I don't know. Anyway, so on March 30th, this trip is only about like five days long. So on March 30th, the students were gathering in the lobby of the Holiday Inn Hotel where they were staying to make their return flight to Alabama, but Natalie never arrived. <gasps> so one of the chaperones called... The lady who organized the trip, Jody Behrman, yeah, 
who called Natalie's mom, Beth Twitty, around 11 in the morning to inform her that Natalie hadn't shown up. Beth said, quote, I knew immediately that my daughter had been kidnapped in Aruba. Natalie has never been late in her life, unquote. She had been on a trip with some friends that weekend, kind of just enjoying the time away from being a mom or something. I feel like that Jody could have handled that a little better. I understand calling the mom, but also, yeah. what is she supposed to do? You're in a different country. Yeah, but that, not for long, because once Beth was back in Alabama, a friend of theirs had actually arranged for her and her husband and a couple other people to fly to Aruba on a private jet. Where is Aruba? Is that in the Caribbean? Uh, yes, that is in the Caribbean. I don't, I think it's adjacent to like where Venezuela is, if that makes any sense. Um, it is in know. the Caribbean Sea, you're correct. Okay. Ge- geography. <laughs> All right. So. Like I said, it was her, her husband, and two of Jug's longtime friends. And then it said the GM of a metals industry facility, which is, I mean, okay, whatever. Anyway, so Dave Holloway, who is Natalie's biological father, also went, but it was unclear if he went with them or if he went separately. He probably went separate. That's what I thought, but it didn't, it didn't specifically say. They arrived in Aruba around 10 p.m. that night. Okay. So from all indications, Natalie hadn't actually returned to her hotel room the night before. She was last seen in public around midnight leaving a nightclub slash bar and grill called Carlos and Charlie's with three guys in a silver car. Jug's nephew, Thomas, I guess was also on the trip. He played poker with the man that somebody identified as being around Natalie that night the day before in the hotel's casino and he remembered that the name was Yorin but couldn't remember like too many details. So Beth took a hotel employee aside, described the guy that Thomas was talking about, and the employee said that she knew immediately who it was. Um, his name is Joran Vandersloot. Not to be confused with Serena Vanderwoodson. <laughs> yes. Apparently, Beth claims that these were the exact words of the employee. Quote, he tends to prey upon young female tourists. Oh, that's gross. That's not encouraging. In this process of trying to figure out Natalie's last steps and figuring out where she possibly could have gone, they went to Carlos and Charlie's to show her picture around everybody, but nobody recognized her. A wealthy Aruban who owned a cell phone rental company on the island named Charles Crows. I assume that's how you pronounce it. I might be saying it completely wrong. He joined the search. Everybody kind of split up. So the Twitty's friends, they wandered the beach showing her picture to everyone there. Beth and Jug went upstairs in the hotel to find video footage of the poker game so that they could know what Yorin looked like. And then Charles went and drove north where he found some teenagers who knew Yorin and they led him to Yorin's house. The police and the friends and family went to Yorin's house, but his father told them when, that Yorin wasn't actually at the house at that time. It was out gambling at the Wyndham Resorts Casino. So he joined them in their search, but Yorin was actually not at the casino by the time they got there. He had returned home. Oh my gosh! (laughs) So once they were back at the house, Yorin was there with Deepak Kalpo, who was a friend of his. They were questioned by police, but Yorin denied knowing who Natalie was. And this is the part where things get a little heated, because obviously the family and the friends are very worried. They want to know what happened to Natalie, but they got very aggressive and confrontational. I Um, mean, I can't really blame them. I can't blame them other than the fact that they don't really have any evidence that this was the last guy who saw her. Correct. Yeah, but at the same time, like, their daughter slash niece is missing. She's 17, 18 years old. Oh, she was 18 at the time. Okay, so so she's 18 years old. I can't blame them, but I wouldn't go the same route. Yeah, so allegedly Jug and the friends got confrontational, accusing him of lying because they had eyewitnesses who saw them both in the car together. And then Joran's father, Paulus, he told the men not to be so rude because, quote, this is not America. You can't act like that. (laughs) Which, yeah, while I was researching this case, there was a lot of behavior from this family and the friends that made me think this is why people outside of America hate Americans. Yeah. (laughs) To be fair, though, like, they are thinking the worst, so... Yeah, so it's like, I understand it to an extent, 
but they also have to understand that this is not their country. Things operate differently than they do in America because laws aren't the same universally. So there are some things where I'm just like, okay, I understand why they were this upset, why they were on edge, but and maybe wouldn't point, try to like threaten somebody. Yeah, exactly. Crows intervened. He ended up pulling Yorin aside because he asked the cops if he could do that. Because technically, Natalie couldn't be considered missing until 48 hours had passed. So the cops were like, we're not officially involved in this yet. Oh my god, I hate that rule. (laughs) Yeah. So Yorin said that he met Natalie in the Holiday Inn Casino on Sunday afternoon. And that Natalie invited him to Carlos and Charlie's, but he had initially declined and went home around 11. But that he had second thoughts and he called his friends Deepak and Satish. Satish is Deepak's brother Mm -hmm. to come and get him he then says he snuck out of the house and went to see her where she quote came on to him huge disgusting get out of here so he said that she was dancing suggestively quote like a slut I did belly yeah Mm. yeah uh I did belly shots on her on the bar eventually she said could you take me home so we left unquote according to him she was allegedly very drunk so he took advantage of her that's what it seems like but he says they took natalie back to the hotel and the last time he saw her was when he helped her into the lobby okay he does change his story multiple times so that was the first version he amends the story saying that they drove around before going to the hotel where natalie confessed three separate things that her mother was quote like hitler unquote okay that natalie was a virgin and that she was a lesbian weird thing to admit to like a stranger you never met but like all right yeah but then it doesn't make sense to me because she then allegedly said that she wanted to have sex with him and that she gave him a blowjob in the backseat of the car while they were parked outside of the lighthouse he doesn't know what he's talking about yeah and i'm just like if she was a lesbian she wouldn't be doing that to you buddy I don't like this guy. So in the middle of this conversation with Charles, the friends got impatient. They basically told the police to get their asses in line. Okay. (laughs) So, yeah. They went back to the Holiday Inn so Yorin could, quote, identify a security guard who helped Natalie. But he actually couldn't identify anybody or couldn't. Yeah. So Jug demanded to know what happened to Natalie and Deepak allegedly told Yorin that he didn't, quote, have to tell them anything, unquote. Uh, Sir, you do that makes it seem very fishy but at the same time if they hadn't done anything anyway so relations between the twitties and their room and police got off to a bad start and they never really recovered um so- i hate that that really sucks because i mean i don't know how the aruban police is but like you know they're probably not gonna want to help not to say that they wouldn't but it's not gonna be like something that they I don't think they anybody enjoys trying to find a missing girl, but they're seeing these Americans come over and they're already acting out of line. And that really sucks for Natalie. And I think too, another thing is that, like I mentioned earlier, laws are different and procedures are different in different countries. So mm-hmm. them coming in and assuming that things are going to be done exactly the way that they want them to be. It almost felt like a customer service experience where somebody comes in thinking they know your job better than you do. Yeah, and I can't really blame them for that, though. I get their tensions were high. Their, you know, daughter, their friend, their niece is missing. So I can't really, but I think they went into it expecting it to be handled like it is in America. And I don't think that's how it's handled. Yeah, and then also, I think they were expecting them to make this their top priority forgetting that these people are literally patrolling this entire city. Like they have other cases that they're working on. To them, this is not as important as it is to you. Like, it's important, obviously, because it's one of their cases, but... It's like here, if you were to be robbed, you you are going to assume that your case is the most important, because this is important, it's the most important for you, but for your, mm-hmm. the police department, they've got 700 robberies they have to deal with, yours is just going to get in line. And that yeah. really sucks, because, like, I really feel for this family. <laughs> They're really just trying to find Natalie, and it really sucks for Natalie, because I really feel like this is... This kind of like, maybe if things were different, they didn't get off to a rough start. Not that they didn't try to find her, but more effort would have been put into it. Yeah. So the Twitties basically felt like the police were cavalier, rude, arrogant, and demanding. The police had kind of 
said like tourists go missing all the time in Aruba and so they usually show up after a few days so I think that's probably why the 48 hours thing was in place for them yeah but you see so many cases like even in America you see so many cases where if they would have just put the missing person report in when it was called in instead of waiting 24 or 48 72 hours like we could have found this person sooner and I hate I hate that rule like I understand yeah. and I'm going to go on a tangent, but I understand, like, we don't have the resources, but if we would just put effort into looking, like, I don't care if they're a runaway child or a prostitute or a sex, you know, like a, I don't care, just look for them if somebody calls in a mystic report in, they're not just calling it in to call it in. Agreed. One of the investigators on the case, he was the lead investigator. Uh, he said, quote, Beth was wonderful, really understanding. She asked us to do everything possible as any mother would. But Jug and the other guys, they started saying they didn't trust us because we're not capable. And they've been here Ooh. for 48 hours. You know, quote, what kind of show are you running here? Unquote. These are the words they used to try and scare me. They were trying to intimidate me. So... Uh. I understand where they're coming from, but at the same time, you don't come into another country and then try to take over. Well, I don't think it's even the, the another country. I really just feel like that's if it happened in America, that's how they would yeah. act. Like if it happened in Alabama, I feel like that's how. I think it's just them expecting them to make this case top priority. And it might be, but they're not showing it the attention that they would want them yeah. to show it. Not that they're not doing their job, but I don't know. They have like 700... You can't expect them. I mean, Aruba is a small country. Two women who worked for a newspaper called Aruba Today named Julia Renfro and Angela Munzenhofer. They ran radio announcements to organize search teams and hundreds Aww. of volunteers arrived on Wednesday to help with the search. That's nice. Apparently, the Dutch police superintendent, whose name is Jan van der Straten, told them they couldn't do this because she wasn't technically considered missing until 48 hours had passed. But Renfro Aww. was just like... I mean, we can do this because, like, we're going to. Yeah. But he, he allegedly told Renfro that they should go to Ladies' Night at Carlos and Charlie's and that Natalie would probably show up there. So this guy... Ew, I don't <laughs> like him. Bye. Yeah. Yeah, this guy, I was like, okay, yeah, I can understand why they'd be pissed off with him. Throughout this process, Munzenhofer received what was essentially a ransom call saying that they would turn over Natalie's location for about $4,000. So they paid the money. I think the family came up with $1,000 and then one of the two women, her family owned a restaurant, so they came up with the other $3,000. So they paid the money and the police went to go search the location, but it turned out to be a crack house that she wasn't at. Oh, that's so sad. That sucks. Allegedly, police took about 45 minutes to show up to the location after it was called in. So I could kind of understand why there's some idea in their head about these people are not making this a priority. Well, I think at the same time that the family's already got off on the wrong foot with them. So they're, they're not really taking it seriously at this point, which sucks because that's your job. Agreed. So for about two weeks, search parties scoured the island. Munzenhofer and Jug Twitty recruited the Dutch Marines into joining the search. Oh, okay. There was one day where all Aruban government employees got a day off to help in the search. So clearly this is being taken seriously by the island. To, Maybe to just not degree. the police. <laughs> Maybe. Throughout their investigation, the police did arrest two security guards who worked at the hotel, or I guess former security guards. But by this point, Beth was already convinced that Yorin and the Calpos were responsible. I can see it. Well, even if they didn't murder her, I'm not saying that they raped her, but that could have been a real possibility where they did rape her or assault her and left her for dead. I mean, that could have been a real possibility, especially when they're saying, like, she was real drunk and take, you know, like, I'm not saying that's what happened, but, I mean, that could have been what happened. I think it's fine to have an idea in your head, but this next part, I was just kind of like, you are the main reason why this investigation didn't really work out as well. Basically, she gave interviews to television organizations because this was a big news story at the time. So there was a bunch of news places coming down to cover the story. She gave television interviews claiming that the police were trying to protect the Vandersloot's family because they were a prominent family on the island oh. and was basically saying there's a cover-up going on here. Wait, is Aruba? Is that a Dutch country? Yes. Okay. So Aruba is a Dutch... I don't know what the word is. I, I don't want to say, like, property, but I can't think of the word. Um, what is Puerto Rico? 
a territory? Yes. There we go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like so it's a, it's... Wait, is it Puerto Rico that's a U.S. territory? Yeah. Okay, okay. So Aruba is a Dutch territory. Also, the Aruban prime minister denied any cover-up, but obviously they're going to, even if there is a cover-up. So anyway. Yeah, but I really don't think there is. Well, I don't know that much, but I don't think there is. I don't think so either. And I don't know. That bothered me because it's like, you're just putting your ass out there without any actual evidence of this being a cover-up. But anyway, so some differences between Dutch criminal investigations and the ones that happen here in America. Detectives don't speak to journalists. I love that. Good for them. Yeah, because I wish that more officers kind of did that because then... Well, I feel like here they don't really speak to detectives. I feel like um, news outlets and the media have ways of getting the information because a lot of times investigations are ruined because somebody squeals or they have tips. Yeah, that's true. Because it's like, I understand if you're trying to get more information, like if it's a cold case or something, and you're just like, if you have any information, but if you're putting all of this information out, like, oh, we have a suspect in custody, this is his name and such and such, and it's like, okay, but what if he doesn't actually end up being the person, you know? Now you you potentially, yeah. So anyway, they don't speak to journalists, which kind of leaves an information vacuum that allows people to just speculate i was about to say i feel like it's a rumor mill they don't do plea bargains like we do here in the u.s i hate plea bargains i'm fine with that there was basically no chance for the police to arrest the three guys and then cut them deals so that one of them would squeal on the others so in that sense i guess it makes sense why they were kind of frustrated because that's something we do here but I don't think that any of them should really get off. No, but I hate plea bargains. Yeah, just because you were willing to squeal doesn't mean that well, you should Well, get... let's say if this happened, you know, like the plea bargains here, they happen. But let's say the guy who did commit the murder squealed on the other two, who was just the getaway driver and the one that was the lookout. Now the actual murderer is going to get time off, half the sentence, but the other two are going for full because they. We, I don't like plea bargains. I think they're dumb. <laughs> Agreed. And then also Aruban investigations move at what seems to be a leisurely pace compared to American ones. What they like to do is they don't want to actually arrest somebody until they have enough evidence to actually warrant the arrest. Yeah. Because they want to watch the people basically in their environment gather information what what the guy said was quote we want to keep them on the outside where we can watch them listen to their calls see what they're saying to each other if we have to pick them up we can't look at them other than in a cell unquote which makes sense yeah you want to watch them when they don't think that they're being watched and figure out what they're doing if they start acting strange you don't want to tip them off yeah and they could even potentially lead you to what you're looking for yeah whereas most of the time i feel like at least here if you commit a crime you're gonna know the police are watching you they're gonna make it obvious that they are so you're not gonna act i mean no that doesn't happen all the time we do have cases where they have no clue that the police is looking for them but i don't know i feel like that's smart but at the same time why i don't know i don't know i don't know stop asking me questions <laughs> I think it depends on the case. Yeah, like, it's a case by That's how I feel about the death penalty. I feel like it's a case by case basis. So basically, pressure was mounting from the press, from the Twitties, the Aruban Hotel and Tourism Association, yeah, and the Aruban government. The Aruban government was basically very image conscious because Americans make up about, I think it was like 72% of the tourism that's in Aruba. So they didn't want Americans to turn Ooh, on them. Yeah, this is going to hurt their business. <laughs> yeah. So the government wanted the case solved as soon as possible. So Eventually, they got the go-ahead to arrest Yorin and the Calpo brothers, and that happened on June 9th. Yorin changed his story again when he was being questioned after He's, he was arrested. He might not have killed her, but he knows something. He claims that the Calpos dropped him and Natalie off at the beach beside the Marriott, which is in that area, a lover's lane sort of area. Ugh. Yeah. Instead of going back to the Holiday Inn. So he claimed that Natalie was so drunk she was drifting in and out of consciousness and that he left her at the beach and walked home. Oh my god! <laughs> What? Yeah, asshole. Anyway, the Calpos apparently backed up that story. Like, that's similar to the story that they told. So, basically, Beth Twitty, again, more of these media appearances, she was doing them basically every night. She was claiming that they weren't getting any help, even though she was saying something completely different to the people who were actually there and helping them. So, one of the reporters 
that was down there said, quote, the way Beth talked to us, the local press was totally different. You know, we're getting so much help, how wonderful everyone was being, how helpful. But at night on television, we would hear a totally different person, how no one was helping her at all, unquote. Mm. And then Julia Renfro, the woman I mentioned earlier, she made an appearance on the Van Sisteren show. I don't know how to pronounce that. Where she made some remarks about urine that the Twitties apparently didn't like. So after that, she claims that Jug physically and verbally assaulted her while she was holding her baby. Oh. Jug acknowledges that he lost his temper and was cursing at her, but he denies having pushed her. And then Beth also says she doesn't recall a pushing incident and that Julia Renfro is, quote, a witch. So... I mean, if he d- he shouldn't yell at her anyways. Yeah, especially if she's holding her baby. And then Munzenhofer, uh, Angela Munzenhofer, she said, quote, I do not agree with what she was saying. She was lying. She got caught in too many lies. I understand it. She's a grieving mother. I'm not against Beth. But come on, her girl's not a virgin. The girl's an alcoholic. She was drinking. I have personally talked to people who say Natalie bought drugs. I've seen the photo of that girl chugging from a bottle of 151 rum okay you can't say she's lying because she doesn't know dang she's a teenager dang yeah it's like teenagers don't tell their parents why are we victim blaming here that too i think yeah people on the island i guess were just offended by the way that beth was painting them and how they weren't being helpful and things like that. This so, whole case is kind of frustrating me because we're kind of getting lost on the fact that there's still a missing girl. Like, that's what's frustrating. I don't care if you don't get along, but like, damn, Natalie didn't do nothing to y'all. Yeah, and I think that if there wasn't such contentious stuff happening here, things would have happened a lot faster. Yeah. But the author of the Vanity Fair article actually acknowledges that some of the stories that Beth told, including one about the Calpo family, didn't actually hold up as true. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I think it was something along the lines of them being involved in some sort of criminal activity. Joran and the Calpo brothers were held for three weeks without charges when they announced that the Calpos would be released due to insufficient evidence, and then Joran was to be held for another 60 days without charges. Obviously, this upset the Twitties, and Beth denounced the judge's decision while calling the Calpos criminals because I guess she doesn't believe in innocent until proven guilty I mean, in this establishment. Well, and you gotta think, so that is her only lead. That's the only lead that they have, is that they did it. I'm not saying that it's but wrong. But at the same time, it's like, they held these guys for three weeks, questioned them, if they don't have enough evidence to hold them. That's fair. I don't know, I've seen a lot of Law & Order. There's a lot of people who do this. <laughs> Oh, yeah, absolutely. Basically, the police were pressured into arresting them before they had enough evidence. And so once they were in jail, it's like, if they're not going to give us anything, we can't really do anything. And so I feel like the Twitties kind of pushed that prevented them. Yeah, they've kind of prevented them from actually gathering any evidence necessarily. Yeah, because they they pressured them to arrest them. And then, yeah, anyway, so there were some leads that were gathered by some reporters. We'll get right to that after a quick word about our sponsors. One of them was that one of the Calpos had confessed to killing Natalie while in jail. Somebody's gardener said that he had seen the three bury Natalie's body in a vacant lot near the Marriott around 3 a.m. They searched that area and nothing turned up and the police decided that the story was made up. So... Then the Twitties hired their own private investigator who said that there was a homeless man who had claimed to see a woman's body in a landfill. They excavated the landfill but found nothing after weeks of searching, which, yeah, a body would still, like, you would find the bones even if some animal had picked apart the flesh and it had decomposed and all that. how far are we into it now? It's been maybe a month. I mean, I don't think it... Hold on. Because I don't even think it would be (laughs) even decomposed at the... How long does it take a body to decompose if anybody were to look at our search histories they'd be very concerned it usually okay three weeks to several years that is very it's just (laughs) depending on like the weather and like yeah environmental factors then another one of the leads they found was that there was a jogger whose story was similar to the gardener's but the jogger apparently was a convicted sex offender so i guess they considered him an uncredible lead (laughs) i don't know there were a few other leads in july and august that led to dead ends and so eventually beth decided to take things into her own hands 
So she went to the Vandersloot's house and confronted Yoren's parents. I feel like that doesn't help your case, Miss Girl. It definitely, definitely doesn't. I don't think you should do that. So Yoren's parents actually invited her in and they talked, I think they said for about 90 minutes. That's nice. Where they acknowledged that they were having trouble with controlling Yoren. Okay, so before I get into what the parents actually said, Beth, she doesn't seem like a very nice person. And this is just my personal opinion based off all the stuff that I saw in these articles. Like, these are her words that I'm pulling. So if they pulled them out of context, that's very possible. I don't want to hate on a victim's family because they are grieving. Well, okay. But what she said about Paulus Vandersloot was that, quote, he was the most pathetic human being I've ever seen, unquote. Like, girl. (laughs) I don't know how to respond. That. that's just mean so anyway the parents said that Yorin was seeing a psychiatrist he said that Yorin would sneak out and go gambling and they had no control over him huh. there was a psyche valve while Yorin was being held in jail and the lead investigator this is a quote directly from him talking about like the psyche valve this just speaks to like who Yorin is as a person quote he struck us and the FBI as a guy who can make you believe he's God's gift to mothers-in-law but if you look at his actions he's anything but The FBI profiled him as a person who never has been corrected by his parents. He's the boss of what happens in that house. He's the boss in the family. He's allowed to do anything. If a person like that is in a position where a person says no, well, that person may change completely. Maybe he blew a fuse when she wouldn't have sex with him and something happened, which I think is entirely possible. Yeah, Um, or like I said earlier, maybe he assaulted her and wanted to cover it up. That too. That kind of reminds me of Stephen Epperly, where it's like he had this violent history with women, and then what happened with Gina Renee Hall, like, I, okay, anyway, uh, (laughs) I could go into a long tangent there, but basically, I think the fact that this was his psyche valve, like the results of his psyche valve, I'm sure they had the, did they have the FBI from America, I mean, I don't, I, it was the American FBI? I guess so? I, okay. I mean, I, yeah, I'm assuming so because she's a, an American citizen. That's what they so, do. Other countries have FBIs. They might have something similar, but I don't think they would be called the FBI. We're going to Google it. Okay. So Beth also confronted Deepak at work. And after that happened, because she was pretty aggressive with him as well. After that happened, he filed a complaint with the police about that incident, which if somebody were to confront me at work when I am not able to protect myself, I think I would be very upset as well. The FBI has more than 80 overseas offices. Interesting. So That's good to know. Yeah. On August 26th, the Calpos were re-arrested. Oh. So Yorin had apparently admitted that Natalie passed out several times while he was, quote, sexually fondling her, unquote. Ew. Which is considered sex without consent under Dutch law. Which is considered rape, just FYI. Yeah. So anyone who enabled the crime could be charged as an accessory, so that's why they were rearrested. So they rearrested them to apply pressure, but the Twitties criticized the decision to release the Calpos in the first place, and the judge ordered the release of the Calpos. So I'm Wait, like, because they said it was... Wait, what? I don't know. It was confusing, but basically a judge was like, release them you don't really have anything working with but i don't know it seemed like every move the twitties were criticizing something and then it just ended up backfiring on them so i feel like they really stalled the investigation by all of the stuff that they were doing if that makes sense yeah like i understand why they were trying to apply pressure because they wanted to figure out what happened to natalie but (laughs) if it's not helping stop don't do it so on August 31st, the judge ordered Yorin to be released as well. So this happened around the same time as Hurricane Katrina. And Beth was apparently mad that the news coverage went to focusing on that instead of her daughter, which it's like, homegirl. Ooh. <laughs> like, the entire city of New Orleans was underwater. Not to mention, after Hurricane Katrina, do you know how much crime and, like, murder and, like, rape happened? Because there was no, like, there was no power, no water, there was no control. Plus, it had also been months since Natalie first disappeared, and they had no lead. So what did, what do you want them to do? Like, what do you want them on. to report on? But yeah, her quote was, quote, So it was time to let the boys go under the curtain of Hurricane Katrina, right there. There's your corruption and collusion. Uh, well, like, I don't know if Hurricane Katrina's a curtain. But it's also just like, bro. It's a hurricane, man. It was like the worst hurricane in, like, 
a long time. Yeah. But I guess she believed that the Aruban government was using that as like a smoke screen so that they could release these guys. Like as... they tried to, they summoned the hurricane. Did they create <laughs> yeah, I... hurricane? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently. Okay. Basically to be able to release these guys without there being like a big media spectacle of it, which is stupid. Oh, but man, there is um, media right now. There's a hurricane. Yeah. So apparently other students on the trip hadn't actually been debriefed until like weeks after the disappearance. Um, and allegedly the FBI never showed those statements to Aruba police. They did get statements from hotel managers who claimed that the students were very wild with lots of drinking and partying. I mean, they're freshly graduated students. I don't know what they expected although there were two different accounts this was a quote about the managers and what they said said quote we know the holiday inn told them they weren't welcome next year natalie we know she drank all day every day we have statements that she started every morning with cocktails so much drinking that natalie didn't show up for breakfast two mornings and then we have bob Plummer, who you might remember as one of the chaperones on the trip who quote denies that the students were unruly and that they were told how well behaved and polite the students were by other people at the hotel. I mean, okay, so, it's like, so that can be conflicting because Bob could be biased because yeah. it could reflect on him, but also now that they're mad at the Twitty family, they could be saying that those students were all unruly. And I get that they're graduated and I'm, you know, if Natalie did you know, graduate, go to Aruba and party, like, that's her business. But I feel like all this information didn't come out until after the 20s kind of pissed everybody off. Take it with a grain of salt. That's all I'm saying. They also claimed to have statements from two people who said that Beth told them she had gotten a call from Natalie about being in love with some tall, blue-eyed Dutch teenager. But Yorin doesn't have blue eyes, so they were like, there's potentially another suspect here. But... Beth denies having spoken to Natalie at all while she was in Aruba. So, anyway. Like I mentioned before, Joran changed the story three separate times, officially. Oh, God. So, in August, he told police that the night ended with Deepak dropping him off at his house and then Deepak leaving with Natalie in his car. Police don't believe that story because the boys were all pointing fingers at each other at that point. And the lead investigator, Dompig, that's his last name, I wrote his first name somewhere, but not there, apparently, said that Joran, quote, wanted to screw them also by saying, he was dropped off unquote and then this next quote kind of bothered me (laughs) like i understand it but i was just like bruh quote this girl she was from alabama she's not going to stay in the car with two black kids unquote Um, that's (laughs) like speculating that everybody from alabama is racist yeah it's like you don't know that yeah the south it was like historically not great but only we can talk shit about america talk shit about america we do that don't talk shit about our country only we get to talk shit about our country yeah don't come here aruba dutch don't be coming to america and talk shit we talk shit you don't talk shit okay and so because he changed the story so many times nobody actually knows what time yorin got home on the night in question so establishing a timeline was complicated Apparently, they were all rearrested again in 2007 and then re-released. They didn't specifically say why. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, on December 18th, prosecutor Hans Moos declared the case closed due to lack of evidence. So, since then, Natalie was declared legally dead on January 12th, 2012. You know, I would like to hold out hope that maybe she started a new life with her Dutch blue-eyed boy. I mean, that would be the happy ending out of all of this. That is what I like to believe. Anyways, so the petition was filed in June of 2011 by her father, Dave Holloway. Beth Where tried was to, uh... Dave at throughout all of this? Because I haven't well, seen Jug in Beth. Allegedly, he was there, but in the articles I was reading, there's like no mention of Dave whatsoever. Maybe they should have let him handle this. <laughs> he seems sane. Yeah, maybe. Beth tried to oppose the petition, but the judge granted it because they said that Dave had met the requirements for claiming somebody is legally dead she's been missing for years yeah because at that point it had already been seven years i think so Joran enrolled in college in the netherlands following his release but that's not where his story ends i don't like Joran. oh you shouldn't because he's a he's a garbage man garbage man no offense to actual garbage men yeah i'm talking about like you're the real heroes of society i mean honestly but he's he's up there along with hh holmes in like the garbage man association so 
In April of 2007, he released a book with a reporter where he gave his account of the night Natalie disappeared, apologized for his initial untruths, but he maintained his innocence. How do we know that the book is real? How do we know you're not lying in a whole book? Well, see, that's the thing. In 2008, (laughs) a Dutch program called RTL Boulevard aired a video of Joran. It was like a secret camera video where he told a man who worked for the show, I don't think he realized he worked for the show, that he and Natalie had gone to the beach and had sex, after which she started convulsing. Ooh, and then he said know, that he that makes me think that he did rape her and that she like got too drunk and so she started vomiting and choked on her vomit and that's how she died it's very possible i've solved the case you're welcome <laughs> he said that a friend disposed of the body by throwing it out to sea but then he later claimed that this was a lie he literally um... said it <laughs> <laughs> And then in an interview with Greta Van Susteren, who I mentioned before, he claims he sold Natalie into sex slavery, but then he later called her to tell her that was a lie. Who is he, Maury? Why did check your ass? <laughs> Determined. <laughs> that was a lie. <laughs> yes, that's, that's exactly. And then on June 30th of 2010, he was charged at the U.S. District Court of Northern Alabama with extortion and wire fraud, because basically what he did was he reached out to the Twitty's lawyer or something like that, where he said that he would tell them the location of Natalie's body if they paid him, I think it was 250000 overall, but 25000 upfront. <laughs> so, so now you're trying to extort a grieving family. That is what you're well, trying to do. What's worse is that the money was paid. But the house that he claimed that she was located in hadn't been built when Natalie disappeared. And then he also contacted the lawyer after the fact and said that he was lying after he had gotten the money. (laughs) So that's why he got charged with wire fraud and extortion. Dude, if you're going to be a criminal, please be a... Okay. However, on May 30th, 2010, which is literally five years to the day of Natalie's disappearance... 21-year-old Stephanie Flores Ramirez was reported missing in Lima, Peru. She was found dead three days later in a hotel room registered to Yorin. I saw that she was either strangled or she was beaten to death, so I don't know which one it was, but either way, she was murdered. He was arrested in Chile on June 3rd and extradited to Peru. He confessed on June 7th to killing Stephanie. He was charged on June 11th with first-degree murder and robbery. And then January 11th, 2012, he pled guilty and was sentenced to 28 years in prison, after which he could face extradition to the U.S. for the extortion charges. So, my man's is in prison, where he belongs. I hope or, he's not your man's. <laughs> no, not, not, not my actual man's, but you know what I mean. Anyway, since then, Deepak Kalpo apparently admitted to having sex with Natalie in a taped interview for the Dr. Phil show, where he was taking a lie detector test. But, uh, Uh, okay, that's his name. Gerald Dompig, that was the investigator's name. He believes it was a hoax. (laughs) Which, we've talked about lie detector tests before. They're not completely accurate. At all. And I think it's a lose-lose either way. If you are innocent and you refuse to take a lie detector test, then they're going to think you're guilty. But if you're innocent and you take a lie detector test and then you fail it, they're going to think you're guilty. It's just a lose-lose. You're just... So Natalie's parents and others, including the then governor of Alabama, Bob Riley, had called for Americans to boycott Aruba because of the whole situation. I got a t-shirt from Aruba, so I don't want to do all that. (laughs) I didn't go, but somebody gave it to me. And so this obviously angered many of the Arubans, many of whom were actually on the Twitty side throughout the whole investigation. Because that sucks. Yeah, so it said because they basically portrayed Aruba as being overrun by drugs and crime. America's overrun by drugs and crime, so I mean, it takes one to know one. <laughs> so I felt this quote was kind of insensitive, but I'm going to read it anyway. This was Charles Cross, who was that guy who owned the cell phone company on Aruba, who joined them and talked to Yorin first when they went to go talk with him. He said, quote, they're killing Aruba. That girl, Natalie, I wish she'd stayed home. Oh. I hope she's found alive there because no one would care. No one. The kid is not worth all this trouble this heartache is natalie worth it is she uh yeah i mean she's still a person an innocent victim who did nothing and i get where the anger comes from because this is his home and they're essentially destroying it because of something that's not the entire country of aruba it's not their fault that this happened you know yeah but it's not natalie's fault either no i absolutely agree like he shouldn't take it out on natalie he should take it out yeah on on beth on the family (laughs) i don't care 
The deputy police chief in charge of the case, Gerald Dompig, said that the Twitties were the biggest obstacle in solving the case. I agree. Basically, the family's pressure sidetracked the investigation from the beginning, forcing premature arrests of the three primary suspects before they could actually gather evidence. So Beth said that without the media's constant presence there, Aruba would have just swept this under the rug. I disagree. I think she just... You didn't give them a chance. I feel like they never really had a chance to solve it. Exactly. They just kind of swooped in and then immediately were like, you're not doing anything. It's like you got there the same day that they realized that Natalie was missing and then you're already basically making it out like the police are doing their jobs. They were doing Just give them a could. chance and then yeah. if they're not doing anything, attack them. Yeah. So Don Pig also said, quote, they didn't understand the way things are done in our system. They didn't want to understand. They act like they came from a world where you can just crush people. It was very harmful to our investigation. I agree. I think they did come in guns blazing, not giving anybody a chance to actually sit down and figure out what happened. Hindsight's always twenty twenty, but... You know, in hindsight, maybe they realized they could have done it a little differently. It really sucks because I understand, like, where the anger and where it's all coming from. I just think it could have been handled way different. Yeah, I agree. He also claims that Jug and his friends threatened that they would bring hell and, quote, burn the island down if they didn't find Natalie. But obviously Jug denies that. I can see it. I, You know, Alabama. <laughs> well, and, and that's the thing, too, is that there are other quotes from Beth that maybe kind of believe that Jug would have said something similarly. Because in the Vanity Fair article, she was talking to the, um, the author of the article saying, quote, I'm in Columbus, Ohio on a secret mission. I'm putting together another strike against Aruba. I tell you, Brian, those people down there, they'll never know what hit them. They should never have messed with me, unquote. I don't think they did. Yeah, nobody did. And then a quote from an ABC News article that I was reading said, quote, I was trying to destroy an island and urine, so I was on a mission. They destroyed me, and I thought well i'm going after them unquote how did they destroy you though the island is not responsible for what one person did eva ruba alone they're just trying to live so that makes me think that jug probably did say something along those lines but i don't really like jug i like dave he didn't do anything literally (laughs) well yeah i i talk about dave a little bit and he's kind of sketchy too but for different reasons okay so gerald dompig actually asked to be removed from the case in april of 2006 because of rumors involving his family i don't know what that means but i assume maybe his family was getting threats or something like that or like somebody was saying that his family was involved yeah that too so the theory that this vanity fair reporter came up with i think it's it could be possible But he said about 200 yards offshore is a sandbar. It's a romantic place where couples go there to make love and fishermen watch from their boats, which is disgusting. On the other side of that sandbar, the current shifts running west. Anything placed in the water on the far side of the sandbar will drift away from the island toward Panama. If Natalie was deposited there, her body is gone forever. Well, not to mention the water is really warm. So I think there's a lot of sharks in the Caribbean, like a lot more than you would see here. But I mean, wildlife, a killer will. I don't know if dolphin eat bodies, but if they do, freaking sharks, freaking bubble guppies. I don't know. Oh, wait, that's a TV show. (laughs) that's a tv show i'm so sorry it's for little children oh lord Um, so there was a lot of media attention on this case obviously because beth was doing a ton of interviews she was basically making sure that the media were constantly talking about her daughter there was some criticism that arose because people claimed it was drowning out the search and reports for other missing people primarily people of color men and the poor I understand that at the same time. I think it's just drowning out anybody. I don't think it has really specific. You know what I'm saying? Like if we're focusing all on Natalie as we should be because she is important, but just like the next person, I don't think it's like specifically like going after people of color. It's not intentionally blocking these people out of the media. It's not like, I don't want to focus on these people. I I think it's just keeping everybody out of the loop. Yeah, exactly. So Dave Holloway, we're going to talk about him just a smidge before we wrap up. So he participated in a six-part documentary series in 2017 on the Oxygen Network. It was basically, I guess, a rehashing stuff about the case and searching for Natalie. (laughs) Apparently Beth sued the network because she was duped into providing her DNA to be tested against remains found by producers without telling her the testing was for a television show. 
So apparently Dave was the one who had actually asked for the DNA sample. And he said that he wanted to test it against bone fragments that they found. But he didn't say that it was for a television show. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Okay. Um, so, well, maybe he knows. She, like, maybe he thinks she's crazy. I mean, that's valid. <laughs> I mean, they are divorced. <laughs> so she claims that the show was quote not a real time or legitimate investigation into new leads, but a pre planned farce. She was seeking twenty five million in damages and then ten million in compensation. Sounds like she's after money. Yeah. So I don't know if that lawsuit went anywhere. I didn't see any like wrap up of that or they probably if it got dismissed or what. That would be my guess. And then Dave Holloway also wrote a book called Aruba, the tragic untold story of Natalie Holloway and corruption in paradise that claims to offer, quote, the most complete account of Natalie Holloway's disappearance with behind the scenes details of the investigation, new revelations about the corruption of the Aruban law enforcement and the countless trails leading to possible rape, murder and even sexual slavery. I'm like buddy we've already talked about all this yeah <laughs> like like it's already out there dude what information do you have that the world doesn't already have plus the fact that he says that there's corrupt uh, corruption no nah, corruption clickbait is all that is the corruption in the aruba law enforcement like it seems like he drank the kool-aid a little bit because beth was saying the same thing like the government was trying to cover things up it's just like guys or he's doing it for clickbait yeah that too but it's like not everything is conspiracy theory all that to say. Natalie still hasn't been found. Yeah, Natalie's body still has not been found. I don't think we'll find her. Yeah, the case is technically still open. So if you have any information that could help to solving the case, contact your local FBI office or the U.S. Embassy in Caracas, Venezuela at this very long phone number. So 011-58-212-907-8335. That was very long. That was a very long phone number, but well, it is what it is. That was a freaking wild case. Like It was wild from start to finish. Yeah, because I, I knew that there was tension there and that they never found her body, but I didn't realize how much. I knew that she went missing and nobody ever found her. I never knew all of this. Yeah, it was a lot. And I don't know, like, I understand the frustration on the parent's side, but at the same time, I'm just Could like... Could have been handled differently. Exactly. If they had handled things differently, if both sides, I think, if they had just, I don't know, come to some kind of understanding, like, we both have the same goal here, and that is to figure out what happened to Natalie, I think they could have managed to- It sucks because- Maybe find something. It's negatively impacted Natalie so much. Like, the, you know, and especially now that the Aruban people are mad in the sense of, like, is she worth it? Yeah, she's worth it. She's an 18-year-old girl, like- she asked for this. Yeah, she's a human person, a human person, yeah. a human being <laughs> who has value. And obviously, the fact that she disappeared well, should I matter. Hope it she might. She ran away with her blue-eyed Dutch boy. <laughs> I hope that whatever happened to her, she is at peace because that's really all that could really hope for. In lighter so- news. <laughs> Do we have any milestones that we've hit recently? Um, we're do. almost at a thousand followers on Twitter. So if you guys want to tw- oh, hey. tweet us and follow us on Twitter, I think we have like 801 last time I checked. Cool. I think we're almost at 200 members of our Facebook group. So I know cool. that's exciting. And guys, if the quickest way to like discuss cases would be the group, I think it's like the best way. We're real yeah. active on there. If you want to like talk about a case with us, we will be more than happy to discuss one with you. Or if you have more questions about something we touched on lightly in an episode, we probably have more thoughts. We just can only pack so much into one episode so don't be mean to me because my husband is a moderator he will kick you out (laughs) yeah and my dad and my sister are in the group so they'll they'll well my sister will kick your butt (laughs) well kick them out (laughs) yeah all right, so we are on social media. We are on Instagram at Shockingly Wicked Podcast. We're on Twitter at Wicked Podcast One. We are on TikTok at Shockingly Wicked. We are on Facebook as a group, Shockingly Wicked Podcast. Search it up. Just click the join button. You'll probably automatically be approved because I don't think we really get notifications when people join. No, we just feel um, then- like if we have five new members, I can't see who yes. joins. So. Yes, same. Um, And then we are also on YouTube at Shockingly Wicked Podcast. You have to search us up. But if you subscribe and we get 100 subscribers, we get a URL and then it'll be easier to tell you how to find us. Also, leave us a five-star review or rating on iTunes if you want us to keep doing this because we love it. 
but we need confirmation. <laughs> yes, we enjoy doing it, but we like knowing that you guys enjoy listening to it. So we'll keep doing it, even if you guys hate us. We will just cry secretly to ourselves. Um, so if you guys fun. have any, did you do the case suggestion? No, I did not. Thank you for reminding me. If you guys have any case suggestions, feel free to reach out to us. The easiest way to do that would be at our Gmail account, which is shockinglywickedpodcast at gmail.com. I believe we have all of these links in our bio on Instagram, so go check it out. Hit us up. One last thing. Me and Bree are planning a photo shoot. Do you have any cool true crime podcast theme ideas for our photo shoot? Tweet us. Yes. Yes. If you have any ideas for what you would like to see as some sort of fun theme that we could do for our promotional photo shoot. We have a couple of ideas already, but we are always open for more. So hit us up. Britt will check our Twitter. If you want to tweet us there, you can also just send it to our Gmail. That's another DM way to do it. on Instagram. Find us somehow. We're everywhere. So we will talk to you then. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Have a good night. Goodbye. Bye.